Deuteronomy chapter 1. It's titled Moses is Remembered or Moses Remembers. What is he going to remember here? In chapter 1, it starts off by Moses remembers the journey that God has taken his people through and used Moses as the leader of his people up to the point of going into the promised land. So Moses remembers the journey of Israel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. Very important time, as we will see, of what God brings back to uh, Moses' memory to what is important for the next generation of Israel, Israelites or the Jews to know before they go into the promised land because this is the brand new baby generation that he's teaching. So we know that in the book of Deuteronomy, the author is no question that uh, as the fifth book of the Torah, the five, first five books of the law, of, uh, of Israel. It's the fifth book of Moses. So as we look at this, we notice that all of the chapters in Deuteronomy is from, or you God used, uh, the Holy Spirit used Moses to write the first uh, amount of chapters there. And uh, I should say right up to chapter 33. But the last chapter after Moses dies, it appears, and I would lean to believe it as well, as Joshua, who took over as the leader, wrote as the Moses' successor, wrote that last chapter of Deuteronomy. Now Moses wrote the book after he gave he three sermons, three messages, three key things he wants to say before he is about to die. He doesn't know when he's going to die or how he's going to die. He just knows that God says you're going to die and you're not going into the promised land. So it's about to go into the promised land. So he knows his life is short and he wants to get those last three sermons out, right? What is that as a pastor? What would be if I had, if I was knowing I'm going to die soon, what would be the three sermons I would want to get across to the congregation before I die? What would be the most important? So we see that he, Moses would have written this book sometime between his, before his death, between 1406 or 1405 B.C. Now, where's the location at this point when he's writing this and, and speaking of? And that is after the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And it's described in the book of Numbers, as we just finished. And the Israelites were finally ready to enter the promised land. And this is when he's giving this message to the new generation that was raised up. And because Moses was speaking to the new generation about God's work and about God's ways... That's really what he's trying to get across to him. This is what God expects of you. This is his works. This is his ways. I want you to know. He breaks the messages down in, in basically that same pattern. Uh, as we will look at this, we're going to see that the first sermon basically was addressing the past. And those are chapters 1 through 3. And then he's going to get into the, addressing the, uh, the focus about the present and the renewing of the present moment where they're at. Those are chapters 4 through 26. And then he's going to talk about the future for them of what God's promises are. And that's chapters 27 through 30. And at the end of the book, that's chapters 31 through 34, we see kind of a closure of rest to the 
to this last bit of uh, message to this new generation. So as we break it down, we'll continue. We're only going to take chapter 1 tonight, not chapters 1 through 3. So we're going to take a couple of uh, Wednesdays to deal with the past, but then we'll get into the present, future, and rest. Now, in the very first, future, uh, first sermon here, he's going to review the past, and it starts by Moses remembers the, the departure from Mount Sinai, which we see here in the very first verse of Deuteronomy chapter 1. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain opposite of Suf, between Paran, Tophel, Laban, Hezeroth, and Dizahab. So we're sitting here at the the just before you know the east side of the Jordan, be going before going into the promised land. He's going to start talking about Horeb, which is the other name for Mount Sinai, and what that journey looked like. And so at this point, as they're camped out there and they're ready to go in, just waiting for God's final set before crossing the Jordan River into the promised land. Uh, the land of Canaan that God promised them 400 years prior. Wow, can you imagine if you were that generation? You've been hearing it your whole life of this 400 years that God's promised to Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, and Jacob. But they had come through a very long and difficult journey from Egypt. Made a very long and difficult journey because of their unbelief in the generations prior. I, I ponder on this because the current generation that is about to go into the promised land had to deal with the unbelief of the previous generation of their moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. Their unbelief caused an impact on the next generation. And how critical it is for us to help our next generation and understanding of God's ways and God's works and reminding them of, of the scriptures of what it says. Because if not, it's going to have a tremendous impact because they're going to take responsibility for what God's expecting of his people. But we see that this difficult time that they went through, they dealt with an, a, an entire adult generation of death and unbelief. That's a pretty heavy thing on the new generation if you really think about it but it's at this pivotal point in Israel's history that this that they're right at the threshold of going into the promised land ready to adapt this this new national identity in their land that God has given them Moses speaks to Israel through as we see here the book of Deuteronomy now the name Deuteronomy means second law so he's giving this law out to the next generation. So it's the second time that's been given because the first time, if you remember, was given at Mount Sinai. He gave it to that generation. That generation's gone. So now he's doing it the second time or the second law, meaning he's repeating it to the next generation. So they clearly hear it from his mouth that it was from God. So they can't say, well, my, you know, my mom and dad didn't teach me that. My grandma and grandma didn't teach me that. They told me this. Moses is absolutely, God is using Moses to clearly communicate firsthand what God told him to tell the people they're getting it going into this next generation. I think that's pretty cool. There's no question what God's works and God's ways was communicated to them. 
Now what's interesting is when he, Moses speaks to all Israel here in this first sermon about the past, Moses' heart was very heavy because he knew that he was not going to enter the promised land with them. He knew he was going into the land of Canaan. Why? Because he even acknowledges and speaks truth about his disobedience to God in Meribah back in Numbers chapter 20 verses 1 through 13. And what that meant when it happened in regards to Israel's exodus from Egypt and the completion of that, he would not be able to complete that. But he was so committed as a leader, as someone who was overseeing, called by God, he was not going to drop things and say, I'm about to die. Let me enjoy my last few whatever days, weeks, months, and I'm not going to do nothing. For, I'm, just, I'm not going to do it. Give it to someone else to do. I'm not doing it. I've done my part. No, that's not a godly man. A godly man goes all the way up to, and serves God right to the very end. He doesn't just drop his responsibilities, and that's a, such a character of this godly man because he was committed even though he's going to die. He was going to serve, do what God's called him to do right up until the day God takes him. I love that. And that's why we see Moses' heart was so passionate about the need to speak to the new generation, that young generation, that generation of faith. Unlike the generation that perished in the wilderness, this new generation did not obey the law of God, right? But God's covenant would work against them if they did not do it God's way, just like the old, the old generation and so they needed to know that this is a choice they're going to make. Here's the law. Here's God's expectations. Here's what it is. And he's pleading to Israel to choose life. We'll see that in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19. Please choose life. Choose a life of a pleasing of God, to God. Do not live your own selfish life and of unbelief. Please. So Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, is a book of reminding. It's a book of preparation for this new generation. And, and it reminds me, we never outgrow the need to be reminded. We should hear reminders all the time to us. That's why we read the, the scriptures as many times as the Lord allows us to do, to be able to remind us of the truths of God and the promises and what he says to us. You don't just read it once and say, I've read it. I've done that before. That tells you you're, talking not, you're not talking to someone probably a believer if that's a, what's coming out of their mouth. They know of God, they just don't know personally know God. Or you would not walk away from the word of God. Peter says it in this way, 2 Peter 1.12, I will not be neglected Neglect to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. <laughs> he says, I know you're in the truth. I know you know it. I know you're walking it, but it does not stop me from reminding you. I love that. Because I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm going to continue to tell you what the Bible says. I'm going to continue when we're one-on-one -on -one to tell you what the truth of God says. And I know I've, I've said it multiple times. I'm going to continue to be a reminder. I'm going to be, I want to be just like Peter. I want to be just like Moses. I want to be God using me to remind you of what the word of God says. And I know you're in the truth. I know you're established. I got it. 
but how quickly we forget. So Deuteronomy is also a book of record because it's such a helpful, useful book, a preparation reminder. You remember in the temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness, it seems very obvious Jesus himself loves this book, the book of Deuteronomy, this letter, the fifth of the book of Moses. Why? Because we see that when he was tempted by Satan, he was he brought the verses from Deuteronomy to combat Satan, to push him back. You know the story, right? When tempted by Satan to use his divine power at this moment, turn the stone into bread, remember? Jesus said, answered Satan with, from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but, by, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Deuteronomy 8.3. If Jesus went to Deuteronomy truth of the scriptures to combat Satan, why wouldn't we? How about the second one when Satan attempted uh, and said God the Father into this demonstrating of how Jesus as Messiah and before it was time. Why don't you show how you're divine and why don't you just come out and do it now. And what did Jesus say to him? comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 16 you shall not tempt the Lord your God comes out of Deuteronomy when tempted by Satan to shortcut the cross forget the cross just bow down to me worship me Jesus answered Satan with Deuteronomy 6:13 you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. I will not serve you. I only serve my father. See, Deuteronomy is one of the greatest books in the Old Testament because it's influencing on the domestic and personal religion of all ages has been present and has surpassed any other book in the Bible. It's quoted 80 times. In the New Testament. 80 times. More than any. It goes right along with Genesis and Psalms and Isaiah. It's up there in those top books that are quoted the most in the New Testament. Verses 2. Moses remembers the journey from uh, Mount Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. Right there in verse 2. It is 11 days journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them. After he had killed Sion, the king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Hishbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who dwelt in Ashtaroth, in Idri, or Idri, so we see here in verses 2 through 4 that there was this place. Remember, if you go back into Numbers chapter 13 and 14, Israel believed that a report of this unfaithful spies coming back that rebelled against God's promise. God said, this is your land. This is the promised land. It is good, it's right, and everything great. And they would not believe God's word and just go by faith and go in there. No, 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 no. They came up with this scheme of, we're going to send some spies in and check 
check it out first because we're not willing to just take it by faith. This is what God is doing. So we've got to go put our eyes on it and make sure this is going to work. And when you first remember we studied this, everyone thought you, when you first look at it, you think it was God's idea. It wasn't God's idea. It was man's idea to have to go look at it themselves and couldn't trust that God was leading them and just take steps by faith. And he would, as we go in, you go, you go. And then God works out all the details. But when we see this, we find out in this journey, it should have been 11 days journey. That's it. From Mount Sinai, from Horeb, into the promised land was 11 days journey. Turned into 40 years. Of why? Unbelief. Why aren't they growing? Why haven't they promised? Why haven't they come, found a place of rest in the promised land? Because they are unbelief. That is why you do not find rest with God. And in your life. It's because of unbelief. So this journey of Mount Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, again, 40 years of coming, and now they're at this threshold of the promised land. And is this because it took 40 years for a generation of unbelief to be taken out of the way so that the new generation growing up at that point in time would then be able to generation of faith and trust in God to rise up and to place them into the promised land. But notice here in the scripture, he talks about after he had killed the Sion, the king of the Amorites, and the Og, king of Bashan, now Israel's great fear when they first came to Kadesh Barnea, if you remember, was the opportunity to enter the promised land. They said, no, 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 we can't go in there because look at the mighty military power that they have. And that's why 10 of the 12 spies could not believe that God would bring them into this very difficult situation, an almost life-threatening situation. Why would God ever allow that? How is this all going to work? All these things, how is God going to provide? And how's the... God said he's going to take you into the promised land. And you fear on everything you're seeing. That's not how you live by faith. But when the new generation trusted God and was went forward, God immediately gave them victory over those two pagan kings, Sion and Og. And that victory was already as soon as Israel was ready to receive it in faith, God gave them victory. Immediately. Verse 5, on, the, on this side of the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law. So he's going to explain the law to them. And, and, and it's on this, this last thing Moses is going to do to prepare the people of Israel to finally enter into the promised land. And he serves almost like an expository teacher here. He's taking the, he's taking the truth and he's re-saying it over again to the next generation. Expository teaching. Throughout the law, they're going to get the law. They're not going to skip over anything. He's going to explain what God said in God's truth to his people. Verses 6 through 8, we see uh, the Lord our God spoke to us in Oreb, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. If you remember, they were there for a whole year. He says, You've dwelt long enough. We're going into the promised land. You, you know the story here. And as they started taking the journey and go to the mountains of Mor uh, the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains and in the lowland, in the south, and on the 
uh, east coast to the land of Canaanites to Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and their descendants after them. So again, you go back to the recording of Numbers chapter 10. You see that it doesn't give as much details even to here. So we get some additional details. That's why we read the whole, uh, all the books so that we get all the different pieces of, of what took place here. But God just simply told the Israelites, you're gonna, you know, after a year, you're going to move into the promised land. But because of their unbelief, it stopped that. But how important it is when you go back and even look at Galatians chapter 4 or Hebrews chapter 12. That, that identity of Mount Sinai of the old, the old covenant of the works and of the law. But for the Christian today, it is important to spend some time under the law as a tutor. As we see Galatians chapter 3 verses 24 and 25 talks about. It brings light to the, what your character is like. So it's good. The law is not bad. It's good. It, it kind of shows you where you're at in regards to your character. So we know that the holy character of God and the need for a savior is so critical. When you're staring in the, in the mirror with the word of God. It just reminds you how fallen you are and how much you need a savior but God never intended the Christian to live their spiritual life at only out Mount Sinai with just the law the believer must move on in faith to the promised land they need to be seen and see the law to see God's truth and say yes I'm a sinner that needs to be saved my character does not line up with the word of God. And I need to move on. But you don't stay there. You need to grow and mature by grace and allow God to change you so that you live by the promise that God gives you in your life. And that is eternal life. The hope of, that we find in Jesus as our Savior. And we have a journey that God puts us on for us to grow. In verses 9 through 18, Moses remembers when Moses appointed judges uh, among Israel. He speaks here about, the, and, I, and I spoke to you at that time saying, I, I alone am not able to bear you. The Lord your God has multiplied you. And here you are today as the, as, as the stars of heaven in multitude. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you. As he has promised you, how can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? How can I handle all that? There's just too many people for just me. So choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men. Criteria of having men who are going to help come alongside him to help lead. Find men who understand or are wise and knowledgeable men from among your tribes. So it's representing all the tribes. And I will make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, the things which you have told us to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you. Leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifty, leaders of tens, officers for your tribes. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying... Hear the cases 
between your brethren and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the stranger who is with you with him you shall not show partiality in judgment and you shall hear the small as well as the great you shall not be afraid in any man's presence don't let any man intimidate you as a judge for the judgment is God's you're just being a voice to what God's judgment is in the situation between two people. But the case that is too hard for you, bring to me, and I will hear it, and I will command you at the time all the things which you should do. So we see that Moses reminds them the reason why you have leaders over the tribes, why you have judges that you take your problems and disputes that need to be worked through, and why that's set up. He sets that up based on Numbers chapter 11. If you see that in context, it's really based on when he set those leaders up there in Numbers 11, not in Exodus 18 where he had set some up there as well. But here in Numbers 11, and so people who complained and all these things, take them to your leaders, and if it gets too much and the judges can't judge it, they'll bring it up to me. That's why he appointed the 70 elders to assist him in bearing under the pressure of the nation as it grew. It's very wise and how God worked that through. Then we see Moses remembers when in unbelief Israel refused to enter the promised land. We see this in verses 19 through 21. And he lets the people know what happened. And I think it's important because I think just some of the younger people in that generation may not have really understood why, what was, what was happening in front of them as they were going through the wilderness. But he says, so we departed from Horeb and went through all the, that great and terrible wilderness you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites as the Lord your God had commanded us. Then he came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, look, the Lord our, your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. So he lays it out here, not to be fearful, not to be discouraged. Why? Because he knew what, knew what they were going to face. It's not like God didn't know there were giants in the land. He didn't know that they were, they were incredibly military-oriented uh, and, and very ready for battles, and the numbers were a lot more than them. It's not like God didn't know all these challenges. But again, no weapon can be formed against us if God is leading us. You have to remember the promises of God when you're going into battle. When the spiritual warfare happens and it doesn't work out exactly how you planned it. There's your problem. You planned it. <laughs> That's a problem. Let God do the planning. Not you. But God told them clearly what they were to do. But they did not listen. Look at verses 22. And every one of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us on the, of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. The plan pleased me well, so I took twelve of your men and one man from each tribe. Again, this wasn't God's plan. What happened was, is that they came up with the, uh, some kind of concept, let's send someone, and Moses, you know, 
and God said, okay, fine. If this is how you want to do it, you don't want to trust me by faith? Okay, I, I'm, going to play, I'm going to play this game. But you've got to have one from each tribe so it represents each tribe so no one tribe can t- go be a split among the tribes because, oh, your tribes had unbelief and we would have gone. No, no, God's wisdom said one leader from each of the tribes guarantee we'll see how this is going to play out, right? God had already told them the land was good. But they didn't believe him. God told them he, they were going to possess it. But they really didn't believe it. God said that you're going to meet these nations and you're going to have to take over and, 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 and go into military might and you're going to win. And they heard it and they acknowledged, oh yeah, God, that's really, 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 oh yeah, I do, I believe. But they didn't really believe it. And may that be a warning to all of us. Where we nod and act like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I know God. I, I, yeah, I know God's word. Yeah, I, I believe. But you really don't believe it. You really don't believe him. Because your unbelief is clearly stating in your actions that you don't believe. And that's exactly what played out here. Moses must have had he must have been really hard to remember this part of the journey and having to say it in front of the people. It must have been very difficult. Because there was consequences for their unbelief. And as a leader, I would think, oh, Moses... You just should have said, stop right there. Let's seek God and let's help God help us to have the faith to take and go into the promised land, like he said, and not send spies to, because of our unbelief. Give us strength to take the step without having to have sight. When God clearly has said, go, it's yours. I have it for you. I promised for you. I promised this for 400 years. <laughs> it's not like God just said in a dream just yesterday or in the last week or two or while you're traveling the 40 years in the wilderness and you're like, I'm getting sick and tired of this, this part of the country. I hate this part of the country. I need to go somewhere different and I'm not gonna, we're, we're going to figure out a new way of doing this. It's that unbelief that will cause tremendous challenges. Because you go by sight and not by faith. Look at verse 24. And they departed and they went up to the mountains and came to the valley of Ishkol and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought it back word to us saying, it is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. And they, so they acknowledge. Do you think God is not going to give you what is good? You think your father's just going to give you bad stuff as a child of God, as someone you're following? You don't know your God. I don't care how you want to sugarcoat it and, oh, I know, I do, I think he's good. No, you're just like by by your actions telling me you really don't believe. 
So they even brought fruit back. What was it? For convince them or convince the people? They came back. Guess what? God said it's good. Yes, it's good. God said it's a land of milk and honey and the fruit's huge. And look at this. We're two people carrying the grapes or so many. You would think if they're going by sight, that would have been enough for them to say, let's go, man. This is all great. No, because they wanted the fruit, but they did not want to do the hard work. Was it because they're lazy? Laziness will bring unbelief. Or is it unbelief brings laziness? Unbelief brings laziness. You become a sluggard. But you notice, as we read through this in verses 24 through 25, Moses doesn't mention the evil report from the unbelieving spies. He only mentions the good thing. It was great land, and they brought fruit back. And they said it was good, just like God said. But he didn't say anything about the, any negative. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say anything about the negative of the unbelief. He just said it was good. But there's only two godly spies out of all of them, and that was Joshua and Caleb. And guess what? They said, it is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Numbers 13 through 27. But the others would not listen to that good report. Now, verses 26 through 23, Moses remembers Israel's unbelieving rejection of the promised land and, and pleads with them to take the land in faith. But here's a key word in verse 26, if you notice here. Nevertheless. That's a very strong word. You would, you, nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord, your God. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the land of the Amorites to destroy us. Oh, really? God's doing all this just to destroy you? Oh, okay. That shows your belief. Where can we go, go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are greater and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim here. Then he, I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. All of this experience, experience after experience after experience and all the highs with God. Oh, praise God, you know. Oh, praise God. All these experiences and goosebumps, none of that Changes your faith. None of those incredible experiences that God brought them helped them with their unbelief. And it should have. 
These are absolute God moments, clearly God-directed, and keeping them safe and directing and preparing a place for them. Everything, everything we pray for as a child of God, God, protect me. I have. Let me remind you of your past. God, help me today. Look at the past. Don't you think I'm going to do it in the present? Look at the past. Don't you think I've already given you, set you a place in heaven? I already told you I'm taking you to heaven. I'm coming back for you. I'm already prepared a place for you. I already told you where I'm taking you ultimately. You just can't be unbelief and versus unbelief. Can't you just live by faith that all the steps between now and taking you to heaven, you can't just trust me? No, they didn't. They wouldn't. All of the, what God has done, nevertheless, we're not going in. We're not going to trust God. Why? Because I believe they relied upon their own strength and their own wisdom and their own selfish. That's why they would not do it. Despite the fact we've seen all what God has done, all of his word is true. We will not trust him for great things in the future. And what did they do? Murmur and complain? Even though God did nothing but show faithfulness to them throughout all these years, it didn't matter. Can you point out one incident when we went through the entire book of, of, of uh, their experience coming from Egypt to the point of now at the east part of Jordan, nowhere ever do we see where God did not fulfill what he said he was going to do. Not one. But they still, that wasn't enough for them. They still relied upon their own understanding, wanting their own way, not willing to do what is hard, hard things that God's going to call, ask you to do. Always taking the easy path. Easy way. What's simple and convenient for you. No, it's not the way it works. And there's, you know, not persuaded by the love of God in their life. Because they found it hard to trust God. They did not believe love that God loved them. People have difficulty Believing that God loves them. Christians today also need to be persuaded of the love of God. And let me tell you, God loves you. Many believers are hindered in their walk with God because they are not genuinely persuaded of the love of God for them. They really don't believe that God loves them. They should ask, what would it take to finally convince me that God really loves me? It's really the question. If if all the things that God has done in your life, and you can stand here and say you're a Christian, that you're saved and you're going to heaven, and, and, and all the things that God has brought you through, if that doesn't persuade you that God loves you, what will?
Because we don't wait for God to give us everything we want before we love him. That's not the answer. I'll love him when he gives me this. Or he'll do this in my life. And he'll do this. Then I'll love him. Because if he doesn't give me what I want and how I want it, then I'm not going to love him. This is a very selfish demand and very short-sighted, childlike behavior. Who thinks mommy doesn't love him because he can't get all the cookies and candies and brownies that he wants. Mommy doesn't love me. I don't love you, mommy. God has already given the ultimate demonstration of his love, has he not? Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That would be you. That would be meaning you. The fact that Jesus died for such wicked, guilty sinners as ourselves is the ultimate demonstration of God's love. He can do nothing greater in our lives than what he has already done in in and through Jesus Christ's life. All we have to do now is just receive his love. Receive his love. Now, As we see in the scripture there that the Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. These words were like Moses trying to pour out and say, come on, I'm trying to encourage you. You've got to just step forward in faith. You've got to keep moving forward. Don't go back. You can't go back into the wilderness. You're going to die. If you go back into unbelief like your your generation, if your parents and grandparents, you're going to die. This is going to be a tremendous consequence on your life. And he's trying to communicate under the fact that God's past faithfulness is something you must consider in your life. But Satan loves To make you forget. And what we should be remembering of how God's faithfulness in our lives through the past. And the miracles God has done on our behalf. Satan does not want you to remember them. And he certainly wants you to forget them. And I'm telling you, you must be reminded and write down the things God's doing in and through your life. So you can go back when those difficulties are and remind you of what God has done in through your life. Just like Moses remembers, you need to remember. It wasn't sin that kept them out, even though unbelief is sin. But it's that understanding of just that unbelief that, 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 that I need to have control. Does God really love me? Do I? He starts doubting of God's love for them, made them unable to trust God in the steps of life that God was taking him through. And I believe it. No question, 
That's what hinders us today in growing. That it, that it hinders us from going on with the Lord to do what he's called us to do. To do those hard things that he's called us to do. To tackle the issues that are in life. To let the past be the past. Learn from him so it doesn't bring anything other than the fact that it strengthens your belief in what God has brought you through. So that it doesn't drag you down or paralyze you any longer. You can move on. Let the word of God transform your mind. Because unbelief and the lack of trust is really the real enemy that you deal with every day. Verses 30 through 34 through 40, we see that Moses remembers the aftermath of Israel's rebellion here. We look at this. It says here that, uh, as, uh, that the Lord heard the sound of the, your words and was angry and took on an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land of which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephaniah, and he shall see it, and to him, his children, I am giving the land on which he walked because, of, because he wholly followed the Lord. Look, look at that. Because he wholly Fully, completely follow the Lord. The Lord was also angry with me for your sakes. Now he's being very humble and honest. God was not happy with me, Moses saying here. Even you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. He's going to be your leader Going forward, you need to encourage your leader because he's the one who's going to help you lead you here. Moreover, your little ones and your children who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. To them I will give it and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So he reminds them of what took place at that Kadesh Barnea the first time of the unbelief, the spies saying, no, 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 we're not doing it. And now there's a consequence because the response of Israel's unbelief and lack of trust of God's love, God swore an oath. We go back in Psalm 96, uh, 95, 11 on that statement of that adult generation who came out of Egypt would not inherit the promised land and, and they, would be, they would die in that desolate wilderness instead. But Caleb, because he wholly followed, Joshua, because he followed, because these two had faith in God and what his promises were out of the 12 spies, they got the promise to go into the promised land. Moses was the great lawgiver. He was a man after God's faith, a faithful man. He was just a beautiful example of working and following and doing God's work for all these years. It represented the relationship between God through the law, but that is where God's purpose for him ended at that point in time. And he would never be bringing him into the promised land, but that didn't stop him from being in the presence of God when he died. We're going to see Moses. So it didn't stop him from going into the promise and, and, and heaven. Ultimately, that didn't stop. He just didn't get to experience the promised land. But Joshua, whose Hebrew name 
for Joshua corresponds to the name of Jesus. Only Jesus can bring us into the promised land relationship with God, that new covenant. And Joshua is that perfect example of God's change from Moses the law to Joshua of the new covenant of grace. But think about it. All your little ones and your children whom you say would be victims shall possess it. This great excuse of Israel of their unbelief at Kadesh Barnea was if we go and take the land, our children will be killed. Remember that statement in Numbers chapter 14, verse 3? It's one of their excuses. They, they feared going in there, and they feared, and they used the excuse of their children, why they can't go in there, because their children are going to die if we go in there. Like, God doesn't care about your children, too? It's his children. <laughs> Not your children. It's his children. He just, for some reason, thinks you should be able to raise him up. Sometimes we have to question why God gave children to certain people. But God answered their unbelieving excuse. He says, if you don't believe me, you don't think I love your children more than you? You think I'm going to take you into a process so that, that the enemy can just take your children out? Fine. You're not going, and your children are the ones that's going to go in with the promised land. The excuse they use why they're not going to do it, the children end up benefiting. Think about the conservative estimate. The number of people who had died in the wilderness during that 37 and a half, almost 38 years. Conservative is about 1.2 million Over that period of time, that means 85 funerals per day. Or seven people kicking the bucket every waking hour. The experience of a new generation walking, raising up, watching all their generation die off every single day. There's a funerals somewhere in the tribes for 37.5 years. Death became a way of life for more than three and a half decades. All around them, death, burial, and being left behind. Can you imagine the sober reminder that all that was because of their unbelief? People dropping like flies. Sad to watch them, people dropping out of the ministry, they're dropping out of life, they're dropping just because it all started because of unbelief. Anything, anything will serve as an excuse to not to move forward in faith when the heart is bent on compromising. When you're bent to compromise God's word and not do what God said to do, you will have any excuse will work. But you have to understand that God sees all things. And he sees through every single excuse of ours. 
Finally, we wrap here in verses, uh, chapter, yeah, verses 41 through 46. Moses remembers their half-hearted repentance, if you remember, and their weak attempt to invade invade says then you answered and said to me you have sinned against the lord we will go up and fight just as the lord our god commanded us and when every one of you had girded on his on his weapons of war you were ready to go up into the mountain and the lord said to me tell them do not go up nor fight for i am not among you lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and yet you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the mountain. And the Amorites who dwelt in that mountain came out against you and chased you as bees do and drove you back from Seir to Hermah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice nor give ear to all that weeping. Would not give ear to you. So you remained in Kardesh many days according to the days that you spent there. Remember that? They realized, uh-oh, we really messed up. This is bad. And so what did they do? They responded in an ungodly way. They said, fine, we're going to go to war. We're going to make this happen. You just realize you're losing out. You're going to die in the wilderness. And you said, no, 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 can't have that happen. So now I'm going to go do what God's called me to do. We're going to go take on the Amorites. God said, don't do it because I'm not with you. You're going to lose. And sure enough. They sure did. They lost lives. They came chasing back like bees chasing them after them. And that's what happens. Sometimes people, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got God, I got God, I got God. And then they find out there's, there's consequences to the rejection of God. And now all of a sudden it has this like somewhat change of heart. And they turn around and they went forth in their flesh and not in faith. And because God did not lead them to do that. And they responded in flesh to try to make it back and do it in their own ways and strength. And Supposedly they repented, but they didn't repent. They were just really upset they're going to have consequences for their disbelief. The sorrow was not grieving the heart of God, but over 40 more years in the wilderness, God therefore saw through their shallow repentance. Weeping does not tell you, is not a guarantee of repentance. And then they tried to do it in their own strength. And of course, they lost that little battle. And of course, they cried, 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 grieving. But again, we must trust in the love of God. We must trust the word of God. We must trust that God is guiding our steps. We must be learned to listen and obey. And obey. Is so important in our lives.